Right. And what kind of growth are you seeing? Right. So I think when we kind of went through that exercise with Harry, we could see that our network had grown kind of while we were just busy having like life, right? Like we were married, had jobs, building our careers, building a business. We had three kids, like all these things are happening. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back to Where Should I Invest? It is Sarah Larby, and we have another great episode today with Laura and Matt Hawkins, who started real estate investing in 2003 when they were just 19 with a short-term rental property, their cottage, and shortly after scaled their portfolio. Great conversations, great investors, very knowledgeable. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast, and also, if you are interested in pivoting. And if you're doing the birth strategy right now, and you're looking for something else that makes sense. We are doing a lot of conversions, commercial conversions to residential conversions. And we also are hosting a class June. It's going to be mid-June. It is June 16th. I don't know if there are going to be spots left, but if you are interested in attending a future one, we're going to by popular demand, I think have many of these moving forward. Um, they will be on weekdays, not on weekends. Again, we've got to customize our lives, my life, my lifestyle, my weekends are for the cottage, but I am likely going to come down and do these because they are so much fun. We get a, like a limo and we get some good food. And then we actually have a whole conversation about how to convert commercial to residential properties, doing the burr strategy, but just at a bigger scale. And I think there's, you know, probably two to three years of timeline until everybody catches on to this and starts doing it. But there is uh, that great opportunity right now. And we've got, we've got a great deal closing in June that we are going to start working on. And that's going to be 22 residential units. And it was uh, a blank slate, all commercial. It used to be a doctor's office many, many years ago was vacant. It is completely empty, open, and, uh, and we got some great financing on it. Anyways, these are some really cool deals. So if you want to check out the masterclass on conversions at a bigger scale and doing commercial to residential conversions, send me a message. Let me know. I am on Instagram, Investor Sarah Larby, or you can just send me an email or contact me on my website. On that note, we also have a few spots left for the retreat that we are doing inspire beach resort the retreat is going to be our first retreat for real estate investors and entrepreneurs we are going all out for this so if you are interested in more information then you can also ask and uh, reach out and uh, before we do bring in matt and laura hawkins let's talk to dahlia about what is new in the financing world dahlia what is this week's tip Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and in today's episode, I will continue to share with you how to align financing with your chosen investment strategy. Today's strategy is rent-to-own. The rent-to-own strategy is one where you as an investor own a property for a predefined period during which you enter into two agreements with the tenant. The first agreement is a rental agreement, whereby the tenant pays you rents under the regular tenancy laws. The second agreement is an option consideration where the tenant has the option to buy the property from you at the end of the agreed upon term or earlier at a price that you both agree to. Under a rent to own agreement, the tenants often pay you higher than market rents, a percentage of which is accounted for as part of their future down payment and deposit for buying the house from you. A rent to own strategy done right will yield you as an investor strong cash flows and strong returns on investment while you're helping someone get into home ownership. If you're investing in this strategy, here are the things you need to keep in mind from a financing standpoint. Number one, the tenant buyer deposit. If you're receiving a deposit from the tenant buyer, you cannot use that as part of your own down payment for closing a deal with a traditional lender. Many lenders want to see that you have skin in the game on a rental property and therefore they want to see that you are using your own funds or your own equity towards the down payment, not someone else's funds. Number two, rent-to-own terms generally range from three to four years. Some investors feel that they should take a fixed rate mortgage that matches the term. This way the cash flow is stable and predictable. While this is valid, 
Taking a fixed rate mortgage on a rent-to-own strategy will be very costly if you break that mortgage before the end of the term. This can happen under one of two scenarios. Scenario number one is the tenant buyer walking away from the agreement before the end of the term and you having to sell the property. Scenario number two is if the tenant buyer qualifies to purchase the property from you before the end of the lease term. Number three, some investors mistakenly assume that they would qualify for a larger mortgage on a rent-to-own purchase because the rents collected are higher than the rents collected had the property been rented to a regular tenant. This is not true, as most lenders will not take this extra income into consideration when qualifying for the mortgage. Lenders go by what the property would rent for under normal rental circumstances, and often they will get an appraiser's opinion regarding what the property would rent for. If you are looking to invest into rent-to-own, and would like to structure financing the right way, or if you have a tenant buyer who has completed their option consideration term and needs help with the mortgage, our team at Streetwise Mortgages would be happy to assist. Contact us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. Awesome, Dahlia. Very insightful, guys. Streetwise Mortgages, reach out to them and they can help you scale your portfolio. On that note, Laura and Matt, Let's bring them in and uh, let's welcome them to the show. Laura and Matt, welcome. How are you guys? Hey, great. Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. We're so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, uh, Harry James, a good friend I think we both have in common, has uh, spoke extremely highly of, of you both. And I'm like, you know what? They're actually already scheduled to be on my podcast. So <laughs> awesome. I was looking Thank forward you. to this. Yeah, uh, so tell us a little bit about, you know, about yourselves and what you do when it comes to real estate investing. Yeah. You want to start? Yeah, sure. Laura and I have uh, been married since 2010 and we dated for seven or eight years before that. Something like that. Long we've been time. together a really long time. Yeah, yeah. We've been together since high school. We started investing when I was 21 back in 2003. My parents and I bought a cottage together on Stony Lake back then. My parents had a cottage and a cottage came for sale across the lake and we decided to partner up and buy that, uh, renovated it, um, did short-term rentals of it. And uh, we did that for a couple of years and I don't think that we were really doing it properly. We, we weren't really making much money. It was rented in the summer. It was vacant in the fall and winter and spring and it kind of just broke even and I decided back, to back then though there wasn't a whole lot of Airbnb out there, there right? or VRBO I, I like it I think it might have been like vacationrentals.com or something like that it wasn't the same <laughs> yeah I think we rented it through VRBO and then okay. then some stuff was just uh word of mouth and um yeah we we, we got okay rents for the summer not much Sometimes we'd get rents in, in May and sometimes in September and October, but uh, it more or less just, just broke even and we self-managed it. It was right across the lake from our cottage. So it interfered a little bit with cottage weekends. Like sometimes we'd have to drive the boat over and go and uh, unplug a toilet or we had a really old septic system there that my dad and I had to dig up and fix stuff a few times. We had getting bats in the cottage. I remember. Yeah, we had bats. In <laughs> oh the my cottage. god, that's happened to me three times too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's like frantic. But you know calls. what? It's great. It's great that like we are sharing some of the downsides of doing this stuff because I'll tell you. So there are three bats. One was yeah. One was a guest, and then like two were us. And like unless there were other ones, I just didn't know about. But they they got through like the chimney. We had a chimney problem we had to fix. But it is a real problem up here. <laughs> yeah, we had one repeat um, uh, set of guests that would come every year, and um, they really liked the cottage. But uh, they ended up having bat problems twice, and the wife insisted on sleeping in a tent on top of the bed because she was afraid of bats. Oh my God. uh, (laughs) Yeah. So we sold that in 2005 and uh, one of my friends was uh, investing in student rentals at uh, Laurier. And um, so I was talking to him about that and seemed like a better deal to me. He was cash flow positive and um, 
wasn't going and unplugging toilets himself and it wasn't screwing up his weekend. So sold the, um, sold the cottage, took the profits from that, bought a student rental in Guelph um, in 2005. And then in 2008, Laura and I bought another no, one. No, 2011. No, 2011. <clears throat> yeah. um, we, were, we were in university at that time in college. So we were kind of working and doing that whole thing. And then after we got married, we bought uh, the house across the street came up private sales. So we bought that. And then we just kind of continued to like grow doing the burr that we didn't know was a burr at the time and kind of taking money from one property to buy another. Yeah, very um, slow burrs. Very, very slow. Yeah, very yeah. slow burrs, but it worked out for us. And we did student rentals for mm, 10 years. Yeah, but actually even before, before the student rentals, when I wanted to do student rentals, my, my parents insisted that I go and speak to my financial advisor, who was Harry James at that time. So that was like interesting 15, 16 years ago. And uh, at least, yeah. yeah, I went and sat down with them and told them that I wanted to have 10 properties by the time I was 40. And I thought that that was like a crazy goal to have. Uh, I didn't listened to any podcasts. I don't even they know if podcasts were a thing, were a thing yeah. back then. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really know anybody else that was inventing it or that was investing at that point. But uh, I told him I want to have 10 student rentals. And he said, oh, you're going to hate your life with 10 sets of students to, to, uh, to deal with. And uh, he was kind of right. And he, he was kind of wrong. Uh, he, he thought that we would be better to do student rentals for a while and then transition into bigger commercial rentals and that's kind of what we ended up doing uh um back in 2017 when it just wasn't really viable to buy single family homes in guelph and rent them out to students we bought a duplex in uh thorold which is near st Catharines, and um we rented that out we only held that for a few years we sold that last year and um and Last year, we moved markets um, to Quartha uh, Lakes, Peterborough area, and bought a, uh, a bungalow in Lindsay and uh, converted into a duplex. And now we're working on a triplex in Peterborough. So you've been in the market for a long time. You probably have lots of insights. You might have, you know, some regrets. Like, do you ever regret selling any of the real estate along the way? I think we regret not buying more uh, at the time. The only one that we've sold is the one in Thorold, and that kind of had some issues. They passed a bylaw that our property couldn't conform with. So we were kind of stuck with an illegal basement unit and it just seemed like a kind of a ticking time bomb. So we sold that and uh, we made good money on it. So we were happy, but uh, the, <laughs> anytime we bought a property, Matt's always been the one that's like pushing, pushing, pushing. And I've, I've usually until in the last couple of years been like, whoa, whoa, this is crazy. Like slow down because we didn't know anybody else doing it. We were the only people really that we knew investing and all of our friends and family thought we were nuts um, buying all these properties. But so every time we bought one, I'd be like, oh man, we're going to be broke. Like we're eating craft dinner for the rest of our lives. And I thought it was just, you know, we were just so nervous about it. But then a few, few years later, I'm like, why didn't we buy 10? Like why didn't we buy more? So I think that's been our regret is just seeing like the market going up. But I mean, we're so thankful that we have what we have because the appreciation has been like absolutely life-changing. Um, but yeah, I think that would be our regret is that we didn't, <laughs> we didn't buy more. But. I, I wasn't sure if now that you're back in the court as the, the cottage sale would be a potential regret. Uh, yeah, I think that is a regret. Um, but it's kind of what started uh, the student rental investing. Like, I don't know if I would have gone that route if I hadn't sold, sold that. And like, I was 18 when we bought the cottage. I didn't go to university. I, uh, I was going to be a mechanic at a school. I did that for two years. Was making decent money for an 18-year-old at the time and um, spending on stupid stuff. And my parents told me that if I don't start spending my money wisely, they were going to make me pay rent. So that's what started the uh, saving up for something. And then that cottage came up. So uh, I don't... I wouldn't have been able to buy a student rental in, in, uh, in Guelph for a long time if I hadn't sold that cottage because then I went to college for business and then I went to college for civil engineering and then I bought the, I bought the, um, the first student rental while I was in college. So I don't regret it. It would be nice to have now 
it uh it was a cool cottage but it was i think 56 stairs up from the lake there was this huge flight of concrete <laughs> stairs which made the views wicked but uh it, it wasn't hard to yeah it wasn't a perfect to. cottage for everybody and now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. No, for sure. And and sometimes, you know, you do have to sell so that you can reinvest. And, uh, but you know, there, there's many people that are like, Hey, is the market at the top? Should I sell now? I'm like, well, like, is that money just going to sit in your account or do you have another spot for it? And it sounds like you guys had another spot for it. And that's usually, you know, if you're going to have to sell a reason to potentially, you know, liquidate a little bit so that you can acquire more and, and keep going. So you've got lots of different strategies that you've done. Sounds like, you know, from the cottage Airbnb or or VRBO back then and student rentals and then the Burr and, you know, multifamily. Do you have, you know, do you have a a favorite today, a favorite strategy? I think probably like we didn't even know, like I said, what the Burr was, but now that we have a name for it, it seems kind of great. Like we always thought when we bought these rentals, if it made, if it didn't cost us money, we thought we were just like laughing to the bank. Like somebody's going to pay our mortgage, pay our expenses. And at the end of 25 years, like we get a free house. Like that seemed amazing to us. Um, And then to realize that now with appreciation and refinance and all these different things that we've learned about, that we can actually take the money out and buy another property. We can do something like put in a pool we did recently with some of the real estate money um, and just live our life. Like that's been completely um, life-changing for us. So I would say the Burr is definitely our favorite. We haven't certainly haven't done a perfect burr. They've been really, well, they've been perfect multiple times over, but in a long period of time. (laughs) So we've gotten like our money out and then some, like some of our properties have paid us like three or four times um, over. So like we have nothing into them. Um, So I think that's been pretty awesome. So I would say burr, but we didn't know what it was at the time. (laughs) Amazing. You know, and, and, and often I, I speak to, you know, people that are investing and some have, you know, been doing it for five years or 10 years, but you guys have been doing this for a long time. And, you know, if, if we looked at the market in, in 2020, um, you know, versus all the many years that you have been investing, like, what do you have if somebody's just starting out today and they're like, oh, well, you know, it was different back then. We could buy something for like a hundred grand, 200 grand, you know, what insights do you have or, or tips that you can share with somebody wanting to get in today? Um, I think that it was different back then, but I also spoke to some friends who were considering getting into investing like three or four years ago and kind of felt like, uh, like some of the advice I gave them back then was, well, it's different now. Uh, the prices have gone up a lot. I don't know if they're going to go up too much more and it's kind of doubled since then. So you never really know where it's going to go. And, um, I would just tell people invest in properties that make sense, invest, try to invest, uh, where you think development's going Buy stuff with cash flow because when you have cash flow, it gives you 
holding power and do it for a long-term investment. Uh, it's, it's risky if you are trying to do this for two or three or four or five years, but if you plan on doing it for 20 years, um, history will show that real estate has always gone up over 20 years. I think it's more or less always gone up over 10 years, but it hasn't always gone up over five. And then you just have to get creative. Like um, we didn't know anything about house hacking or anything like that when we were, when we were getting started, but um, we would have done that for sure. <laughs> yeah. And anybody that anybody who's young and wants to get into this now, that's typically the first thing I tell them is you might not like this strategy. You might not be willing to do it, but if you are willing to do it, you can pretty much guarantee yourself success, buy a duplex, live in the basement, rent the upstairs. 5% down, find a market that you can afford it. Yeah. It's it's a good way to get started. Refi after a few years and move on and do it again. Right. Yeah. And the 5% down for somebody that doesn't have a whole lot of cash is a a great way to do it while you've got, you know, probably you're not cash flowing, but you're not paying very much to live there because somebody else is paying the majority, probably three quarters of, of the costs, right. To, you know, for you to live there. So it's a great way to get out of your, your parents' house or, you know, do your, your own thing and not have to always trade your time for dollars. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it definitely opens up that, that picture. Now, looking back, you know, now that you are networking and there's different options for, you know, you to connect with other like-minded people today, you know, what are some of the things that you wish you knew back then that you could share with somebody today that they might be able to at least get the information or insights from so that they're not making the same maybe mistakes as, as you guys did back then? I think the main thing that's changed for us in the last couple of years, and, and I think that part of that is just due to the community that's kind of grown over the last, like, I don't know, five, seven years or whatever, is just knowing that there are other people out there. Like I said, at the beginning, we knew nobody who was doing this. So when you're surrounded by people who aren't doing it, it seems kind of crazy. Um, but as soon as you put yourself in the room of like-minded people, what you're doing seems like, oh, I could do so much more. And it just really opens up your eyes to kind of a different experience and a different way of doing it. So I would just say, try to find people who are, that you can connect with. Like I've connected with an incredible group of women um, who are, I knew you were speaking there last week uh, and it was incredible. So I've joined a few groups like that. Um, that's been really empowering and just be able to talk to other people who are doing the same is incredibly inspiring. Um, we're part of an amazing WhatsApp group for Peterborough investors. And that's just like, gold every time the stuff that gets shared on that it's through uh, jared henderson i'm sure that you know and he um he put it together and it's just the amount of information sharing that goes back and forth like just get yourself on a network put yourself out there um one thing we did in 2021 that was outside of both of our comfort zones was start an instagram account talking about real estate we never really talked about it before some of our family and friends probably didn't even know that we owned real estate and we certainly never really talked about it um, so being able to talk about it and just put yourself out there and it just, the amount of information that people will share and that you can share with them is, is just totally game changing. It's changed our whole mindset, um, our whole outlook on what real estate can do for us. So I would say get in a room with people who are like you, um, or that you want to be like, and just make those connections, offer value, put yourself out there and you'll get it back like a hundredfold. It's, it's been like, it's been really incredible to see the community that surrounds real estate. Everyone's so, um, so friendly and so giving with their knowledge. It's been pretty awesome. Absolutely. That, that's great advice. Matt, anything you want to add? No, I don't have much to add. Uh, I'm maybe more of an introvert than Laura. I'm not, uh, I'm not out there networking as much, uh, part as many, as many groups. I'm kind of behind the scenes getting renos done and looking at deals and stuff like that. But probably the biggest thing for me would have just been, I wish that I found podcasts and the information and, and the groups um, for support uh, and just the community sooner. Like we, we've been investing since 2003 and I think it was 2017 that I listened to my first podcast and kind of stumbled upon uh, like this gold of so much information that people are willing to give up. And there aren't too many industries that people are willing to give away so much information. Like, I'm in the construction industry and nobody has construction uh, podcasts where they give away all of their secrets on how they win jobs or uh, uh, how they find great employees or how they build teams, stuff like that. Well, I guess they do a certain extent, but nowhere near what you see in real estate. So I wish I had found that before, but I'm glad that I found it in 2017 when I did. 
Yeah, it's uh, it is incredible. I, I 100% you know agree with what you're saying. Is many industries it, they look at it as competition. I think here you look at it as like you're probably gonna you know work together at some point, or you're gonna be connecting within building friendships or or referrals or or whatnot. And so it, you know we look at other investors as you know. Uh, an opportunity to, to connect versus many other, like you said, industries that look at it as competition. <laughs> but there is, you know, even in this crazy market, there's enough deals to go around. It's just, they're fewer than they used to be, but you know, we're, we're always wanting to give back. And so when, when is it that you started, you know, cause you've been doing this for a while that you started feeling that your life was changing? Right. Because I mean, obviously, we're, like even for us, when we started investing in the beginning, like the first couple of years are like, why am I doing this? It feels like we're like strapped, you know, like we're not we weren't taking vacations because it was going back into the next house. And it probably took us a good four years to like start feeling the effect of like, OK, we've, we're building wealth and like you can start seeing it. You're building cash flow and you can start seeing it. Took a little bit of, of tenant turnover and, and potentially getting into the burr from the buy and hold and that kind of stuff. But what about you guys? Like, you know, when did your life actually or you realize that your life was changing? I'd say sometime around 2017. Like I think um, I started working with Harry again. I think it was 2017. Like he was my financial advisor when I was more or less a kid. Like most most, uh, 18-year-olds don't have financial advisors, but my parents insisted on that, even though I didn't really have any money. But um, um, then he sold his practice and I hadn't seen him for quite a few years. And then we reconnected around 2017 and I started doing coaching with him and, um, we had never done a net worth statement, um, before that. But once you start doing that and you see the, the appreciation that you, you have gained over the years with, uh, the mortgage pay down and appreciation of properties. Uh, that was pretty powerful. I think not enough people really look at net worth. Like to me, net worth almost has, like it should be called something else because it almost, almost sounds like something that you should be kind of embarrassed to talk about. Not that you want to talk about the numbers all the time, but uh, I think more people look at, oh, I make $100,000 a year or $200,000 a year, $50,000 a year. I think people should be looking at but what sort of net worth are you building up? Because if you make $300,000 a year and have zero or negative net worth, that's no good. But uh, that was a bit of a tangent. But, um, but it's uh, a great, I mean, it's a great point, though, because you think about it. I mean, look, I think a lot of investors also look at cash flow and they're like, okay, you know, like how much cash flow do you need? Which I think is still just as important of a number. But not many people do look at net worth, right? And it's not about how much money you make from your job. And I've always said this, it's just about how much money you keep, but like to take it a further step, it's about how much money you keep and then the equity bucket, but also the cash flow bucket, like how much of that is actually earning you additional dollars. Right. And what kind of growth are you seeing? Right. So I think when we kind of went through that exercise with Harry, we could see that our net worth had grown kind of while we were just busy having like life, right? Like we were married, had jobs, building our careers, building a business. We had three kids, like all these things are happening. And our net worth is growing and it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. (laughs) So I think that was part of it. Anyways, I cut you off. Yeah, no problem. And then uh, 2017, we moved and bought the house that we're in now. I think that we wouldn't have been able to do that without without real estate. And then a big big one for us that we realized that we could afford to live in our dream house, really like the house we're living in now, we renovated it to exactly how we want it to be. It's in the exact area we wanted. And that, that was a huge, huge accomplishment for us. And that, that was a real estate play for sure. Like you said, we, we wouldn't have been able to do that just with our nine to fives. It was, uh, it wouldn't have been attainable. But. Yeah. And then, uh, 2017, we bought the house in Thorold, which was kind of a silly buy. Um, me and, and one of my friends, Adam, were putting an offer after offer after offer in houses and, uh, um, not getting anything in like the 15th house that we put an offer in on, we finally got and then kind of realized that wasn't the greatest area, wasn't the greatest basement apartment that was in there already. We had a two-week-old baby at the time, so I was, I was not baby. involved in this process. <laughs> yeah, Laura wasn't all that supportive of the, uh, of the purchase in Thorold, and so we just decided to wait until we could get out without losing any money, 
And then like a month after we took possession of it in April, 2017, all the prices dropped by not a huge amount, but maybe 10 or 15%. And we were thinking, okay, well, we're going to be in this for a while. And then prices went up and then 2020 we sold it and put a pool in our backyard with the proceeds of selling it. So it was uh, kind of a, a mistake saved by the, the magic of real estate. Yeah. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, investor, we want to let you know our partners at Calvert Home Mortgage are ready to finance your next burr or flip project. Several students in my coaching program have had an exceptional experience borrowing from Calvert. Benefits include as little as 20000 down, no appraisals needed in most instances, quick funding, and they lend the assignment fee for wholesale deals as well. Right now, we're offering Calvert Home Mortgage's free flip burr analyzer tool to run your numbers on deals. It's in our podcast description below and terms and conditions do apply. Visit chmic.ca to learn more and follow them on Instagram at Calvert Home Mortgage underscore. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. It can be very forgiving. I mean, if you hold on to it, you know, and as long as you don't, like when you sell, you realize your loss. I think it's just like any paper assets, right? Like your loss isn't realized until you actually liquidate it at that point. But I mean, I, I bet even if you would have kept it for another, another two years, that proper property in, in the world would have doubled again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of, re- we, we regret selling that one now, but, uh, but there was, was a lot of time. reasons why we sold it. And uh, it was I think okay. it was, yeah, it was a matter of time before that basement was an issue. But, uh, but it was, it was once we realized we could make money on it and then we got this check and we're like, what should we do with this? Should we invest it? And we're like, we should maybe do a pool. <laughs> so it's something that we plan on doing for like maybe five years down the road, whatever. But again, we got this money that we didn't expect to have and like it was ours. And yeah, so that, that was a big life-changing moment as well. And, and the other one I think that we realized was right around for me anyways, was 2019 ish. Um, when, when I just finished Matt leave with, with our third child and, you know, EI doesn't pay the same wages as you get. So we were kind of using some real estate money to just keep up our, the lifestyle that we wanted to maintain. And that was really awesome. And then we were able to make the decision that I wouldn't go back to work full time to my nine to five, um, partially because of real estate. So those were some pretty big life moments that uh, we can say thanks to real estate for. <laughs> yeah, that, that is awesome. And can I ask how old your oldest child is? Uh, he'll be seven in two weeks. So what does he understand from like a real estate standpoint? Like, does he, do you share like that you, you're buying real estate and are you starting oh, yeah. to kind of teach them young? Like maybe give us some insights on that. <laughs> yeah, we drag them everywhere with us <laughs> to do real estate. So they've been like, we have some pictures of Jake, our oldest one, like uh, put on Matt's back when he was like a baby as he was like drywalling a hole that a tenant had put through the wall. So like they've been in it since literally day one. They hear us talk about it all the time. On the way back from the cottage yesterday, we stopped in Peterborough to check out the progress and they're all like, oh, we don't want to go. We don't want to go to the rental properties. But then we explained to them like, do you know we're going, like we're planning on going to Florida in March. Like, do you know why we can go to Florida? It's because we have rental properties. Do you know why we you know, live here or do this or do these things. It's because of real estate. So I think they're, you know, they're too young to get it, but we talk about it all the time. And we talk about the importance of investing and, and why we do it. And some of the struggles we have, like we're, we're very open with them. Uh, so, I mean, they roll their eyes because they're three, five and six, but <laughs> I guess eventually it'll get in there. For sure. So you mentioned struggles. Let's, let's talk about struggles a little bit and you know, let, let's, let's bring it up to 2020. Like what are the challenges that you're seeing in, in today's world and in, in the real estate market in, you know, your real estate investing journey? Like are, are there any struggles right now that you're experiencing that you wouldn't mind sharing with us? Yeah, I think the, uh, probably the biggest struggle is finding deals. Um, um, we're not, we're, we're pretty, we're, we're pretty busy. Like we have uh, almost seven-year-old, uh, five-year-old, and a three-year-old, and uh, we run a construction company, and we have really busy day jobs. So, uh, and, and we're kind of new to the networking world of real estate. So, we're not having off-market deals fall in our laps all the time by any means, and and just finding deals on MLS or trying to find off-market deals, it hasn't been easy. Um, we found a couple. Uh, properties that we were comfortable investing in in the last 
in the last year, but we keep looking for deals and uh, it takes quite a bit of work and quite a few offers and quite a bit of underwriting to find deals. So I would say that's the first one. Getting renovations done has been a, yeah. a little bit more difficult, just material shortages, labor shortages, labor shortages. <laughs> we paid like 14 bucks a two by four and, and Lindsay uh, kind of in the uh, height of the lumber shortage. Mm -hmm. um, everything's just costing more money than we think, uh, taking longer than we think. Um, finding tenants is pretty easy. That's one, <laughs> one benefit of it. But uh, yeah, it's mostly just finding deals and, and getting the windows done. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. It's, it's a deal problem we have now. And speaking of tenants, I mean, like, I can't speak from for everybody everywhere, but I would say for the majority of Ontario anyways, and I think many other provinces right now, it sounds like from, from my conversations I'm having with other investors, uh, you have your fair share of tenants to pick from. So yeah. you have a fear listening to this that you're not going to find a tenant for months and months and months. Definitely won't, but I will tell you, it's better almost to leave it vacant for a month until you find that really great one because oh, yeah. getting rid of them afterwards is, is a hassle. So I think you'll have a getting rid of tenant problem potentially, but you, you definitely will not have a problem finding tenants. Right now, I think it's a deal issue, even more so than money. I think money has never been around so much as it is yeah. today, and people wanting to loan out their money, make money on their money. And it is really truly a deal problem. I was having a conversation with mortgage brokers. I was having a conversation with many money lenders that have literally, they're like, hey, we have like our, our investors are asking what deals they can invest in. I'm like, there's, you know, there's not as many deals. And we were having this conversation as mm -hmm. there used to be, that makes sense. And it is definitely like, if you find the deal, the money will come to you. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. It's finding the deal. That's so hard. Like in some of the sale prices that like the last one we put an offer in on, it was like a, a house that looked like it could be a great duplex conversion in Lindsay. And I think it was listed for four ninety nine, and there were 19 offers or something. It went for seven fifteen. Like in no way could I ever make the numbers work for seven fifteen. <laughs> like it just is not like the rents would not support it. So yeah, deals are definitely hard to find. And I think that all of us, like all investors are going to have to be more creative as, as we go forward. And that's something that we're hoping to do is to try to look at some, uh, like some similar stuff to you're doing, like some small development type stuff and, or changing the use of buildings and things like that. Cause I think that's where you can really make some money and really have an impact. Um, but just finding a, a typical deal there even like a duplex conversion, they used to be kind of a sweet spot, but it's, it's getting harder and harder to find them. The competition is just insane. Yeah. I feel like 10 years ago, you could cash flow so well on single families and then, you know, it became duplex conversions and now it's three and four units, or you've got to do a, some kind of conversion of like commercial to residential, or you've got to, you know, find the lot and build and, and you have to adapt with the times. Right. And, and I think that's the important piece is in, in order, like you just need to make the deals work like today and you have to be in a different sandbox. I think everyone is doing the conversions the you know, singles to duplexes mm -hmm. and those just don't work anymore for, yeah. you know, what probably we're used to doing. And then exactly that's why I had to, you know, shift into a whole new different strategy because I, I need to create the deals for them to make sense. And, you know, I'm not saying that you can't find a great duplex conversion opportunity, but maybe it's a great duplex conversion opportunity with an additional dwelling unit that you can put in the backyard now exactly, you know, yeah. or, or have that yard space for later. Or maybe it's severing a lot, you know, and like that you, you might have to think outside the box uh, a little bit more. Yeah. And actually the property we have in Lindsay is, uh, is the perfect spot. We bought it to put a third unit on. We just haven't pulled the trigger on that one. It's on a massive lot. I think it's like, is it 55 or 60 by like two fifteen or something like it's huge and it's the perfect setup. So we're mm -hmm. still kind of doing our research on that, but in the meantime, it's, it's cash flows like crazy. And there is uh, an opportunity to put a, a third unit in the backyard, but I agree. We're going to have to be more creative and, and try to find different solutions. And there's still deals to be had. Of course, everyone knows there is, but you just have to work a little harder. So we're, we're no, we're in the same boat as everybody else on that for sure. Are there markets that you've started, you know, looking into saying that, I mean, I know you mentioned Lindsay, I actually, I think Lindsay is a great one, but you know, maybe you can share like a handful of them that you might be looking at the saying these numbers could potentially work a little bit better now. Right. Cause we all like back in the day, Brantford used to work even for singles and then, and then just, you know, small conversions. And then they, they just kind of aren't really working anymore, but then you move further out and you move further out. Right. And so what are some of the areas that maybe you're, you're starting to, to look into? 
I've looked into Aurelia a little bit. I wouldn't mind doing some investing in Aurelia. Um, haven't spent a whole lot of time looking there yet, but um, seems like a similar price point to to Peterborough. Mm-hmm. Laura was getting a little bit excited the other day about Cornwall, just the, some of the cash yeah. flow numbers that uh, Jared was uh, <laughs> was talking about. Not sure whether we're not the best long distance or maybe I'm not the best long distance investor. Even though all of our properties are long distance. <laughs> yeah, but like an hour is not long distance yeah. in my opinion. But yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it's kind of a uh, pro and a con that I have a construction background. I don't have like a right. residential construction background. We own a I guess civil and landscape construction company, but I know enough to be dangerous and um, end up managing most of our own renos and uh, kind of getting more involved than I should be. So it would take a real mindset shift for me to be able to do a reno four hours away. Maybe uh, might be the best thing. Yeah, for might, us, be, might be the best thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because right now I'm kind of the glass ceiling on on us scaling because. I only have so much time to manage rentals. But. You're, you're working in the business rather than on the business, right? And so yeah, I, yeah. you're saving a ton of money as, as you go, but you're also probably not enjoying your lifestyle maybe as much as you'd want to if you're managing the rental, right? Yeah, we're, we're working on that yeah. for sure. It's been a, a struggle just to try to let go of some of that control and, and trust other people to do it. We're getting there like baby steps. We're getting mm-hmm. there. This project, we've been more hands-off than, well, sort of with some pieces anyways, we have been, but yeah, I think back to your question, I think Cornwall, we kind of looked at a little bit, Aurelia, but we still like Lindsay and Peterborough. We're still looking actively in those markets. Um, it kind of just works for, for us geographically. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you already have properties there, it just makes it kind of easier to just to grow within a market. You already have a team. So um, yeah, that's kind of where we're focused really. Where, where's home? You said an hour away. Are you guys in Markham? We're in Stouffville. Yeah, just like, uh, yeah, 10, 10 minutes, minutes north of Markham. Yeah. All right, very cool. So the next part of the podcast is the lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You can give me each a different answer if you'd like. And uh, everybody gets the same questions. Are you ready to play the lightning round? Sure. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offering for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free customized individualized 90 day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N-C-H-O-M-U-T.com forward slash Sarah. And now back to the show. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? I'll let Matt take this one. He's uh, he's the reader in the family. <laughs> I know everybody says it, but I got to say uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, um, I can't remember whether it was my mom that made me read that when I started investing or if it was Harry James. Um, I, I don't think it was Harry. It might have been Harry, because I don't really time. know where my mom would have got that from. Uh, yeah. My parents owned quite a bit of real estate over the years, but not so much... Uh, like they weren't active real estate investors. They owned houses and cottages like that were their, that they used for their own uh, use. And they owned a building for the construction company that they ran back then. But uh, so it was, it was probably Harry that made me read that. And that book really changed uh, the trajectory of my life. Um, so I have to say Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You probably roll your eyes every time you hear that. Every time it's like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> It definitely is the number one mentioned book. I think I get it one every, probably one of every two is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. I, I'd have to go back and add it all up, but <laughs> I, I feel like that's, that's definitely a, a game-changing, life-changing book for sure. And especially uh, when we read it, we were like 18, like to think yeah, about yeah. things in that way, is, it was just totally life-changing. For sure. All right. Number two, this doesn't have to be real estate specifically, but do you have a favorite podcast? Um, yeah, my, um, I, so I listen to a ton of podcasts. That's kind of my thing. I, I do that more than books, but I, I love, we love yours. We love Andrew Hines. Um, we listen to bigger pockets. I also love, I've been listening to the Canadian multifamily investing podcast, which is kind of good. It's like bigger scale apartment building stuff. Um, and then I, I like some non real estate podcasts too. Like, uh, we can do hard things with Vaughn and Doyle. I find that one interesting too. I, I listen to a ton of podcasts more than books. All right. Awesome. Matt, what about you? Are you a podcast listener? 
Laura. Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's kind of same as Laura. My my favorites are bigger pod or bigger pockets. Yours, Andrew Hines. Um, that's mostly what I listen to. All right, very cool. So number three, what do you guys do for fun aside from anything work related, construction related, real estate related? What do you do for fun? Uh, we love to mountain bike. So we we go. Our favorite thing is to do it together with three little kids. We don't get a ton of time to do that, but. Whenever we can, we'll fit in a mountain bike on the weekend. We love going to the cottage. Uh, Matt's dad is a cottage on Lower Buckhorn Lake. So we go up there with the family, spend time with our kids. We work out quite a bit. We're both doing the 75 hard challenge right now. So it's been fun doing it together. Their second time doing it. So yeah, we're just like active. We love to be outside enjoying the nice weather when it's here. What's the hardest part of 75 hard for you guys? It's probably just me finding the time to do two workouts. I get in one every day. The second one is kind of challenging. Matt would probably say it's giving up beer. (laughs) <laughs> maybe drinking yeah water. at the <laughs> beginning it's i like to drink beer so at the beginning it's not drinking but that gets a lot easier after a week or something like that i think for me a lot of it's the reading i i always leave the reading to the end of the day and then i'm sitting in bed trying to read you have to read 10 pages a day and yeah, uh, like 11 30 at night my eyes are, fall, are are closing and uh i end up having to like walk around and do my reading so i don't fall asleep but uh i'm more of an audiobook guy typically but you're not allowed to listen to audiobooks for the reading oh no yeah. <laughs> I, i've never done it i i know that probably like i do agree with that the second workout would probably be tough the one workout that's in the like outside that you have to do would be tough especially in this time of year but yeah. i think for me it would just be not being able to have wine with dinner you know, yeah. Yeah. you want to have a nice glass of wine, you listen to the, you know, background and the music and everything. I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand. So I don't know. I know. That's, that's hard for a lot of people for sure, but I don't really drink. So that was easy for me to give up, but I know Matt struggled with that one. <laughs> Both times that we've done it have been during kind of, kind of lockdown. So that makes it a lot easier. Like going to the cottage this weekend with my family and not being able to drink at all. That's a little bit harder, but, uh, just being at home and like once you get do. into a yeah. groove and you don't drink at all, it, it's pretty easy. It's probably easier too that you're both doing it together, right? So it's not like one person's not following it and the other one. Yeah. Laura doesn't drink at all anyway, so it doesn't really make any difference. <laughs> oh, <okay>. That works. <laughs> that works then. But it is easier to keep each other motivated anyways. Yeah. So that's good. It's, it's been good. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Question number four, if somebody has... No. Question number four, if you lost all of your money in your assets and all your real estate tomorrow, how would you start again? I think for, for us, I think house hacking at this point in our life with three kids might <laughs> not work all, might not work that well. If, uh, uh, if we were just Laura and I, I would definitely, um, I would definitely house hack, but for us, I think that, um, I would just, um, start making money in construction like we've done to date and, buy something uh, in like a tertiary market or something like that, that we could with our $50,000 and um, wrong question. Burr it. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. I, I, I combined your question. And I actually was asking you question number five in the beginning and then I was, yeah. I went back. So it's all good. You can yeah, combine them all you want. Time. Why not? <laughs> yeah. So we, we would, um, we would just do what we did and just start again. And, I think that we would be able to grow so much faster because of the, the information that, uh, that we've gotten the last 15 or so years since we've been doing this and especially what we've learned in the last few years since we've been listening to podcasts and having coaching and stuff like that. Very cool. All right. So here, so here's the last question though. If somebody does have $50,000 and they want to get started, that's question number five. How would you recommend that they spend that money? Yeah, I guess we kind of half answered that already, but I I would probably say house hacking, like find a market that you can get into 5% down. Um, If you're handy, renovate by yourself in the basement. If you can, we live upstairs, whatever, whatever, live downstairs. Um, I think that would probably be the the easiest way. Like $50,000, if you ask somebody 10 years ago, they could do a lot more with that. Um, But I mean, $50,000 now in this market doesn't go super far. So I'd probably say house hack and then live in it for three to five years and then refi and pull the money out and, and do it again. Yeah. I mean, especially now with everything being so remote, people, more and more people working from home, like you could still go out two hours and, you know, Mm -hmm. have the same potential job if, if they're now, you know, working remotely. So awesome. Laura, Matt, that was awesome. Where can the listeners reach out and find out more? 
Um, so we have an Instagram account that's uh, Sydney underscore investments. And uh, that's probably the best place we were active on. Well, activish on there. Uh, but if anyone ever sends us a message, we, we love to connect with other people. We've developed some great relationships with people on there and always, always happy to chat real estate with whoever will listen. So, uh, so yeah, that's probably the best place to find us. Amazing. Thanks guys so much for all the great insight for being on the show. And, uh, you know, I really, really, uh, you are both so inspirational. So thank you for sharing what you did today. Yeah. Thanks. That was so fun. Thanks for having us on. Thanks, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that work. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.